Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Well, hey, Lake One family, it is an incredible honor uh, to introduce the person that's bringing the word to us today, not just because they're an incredible Bible teacher, but very honestly, because this person is very frankly a close personal friend of mine. Um, let me set this up. Uh, we have a deep belief at Lake Point that one generation shall tell of your works to the next, that every generation bears the responsibility of passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Towards that end, this person has been teaching at the largest young adults Bible teaching gathering in America for the last 12 years. Uh, For the last 12 years, he's been faithfully teaching and leading at the porch right here in DFW, which again is the largest gathering of Christian young adults in America. But more than just young adults, he's just a great Bible teacher and personal friend of mine. And so Lake Point family, would you please give a hero's welcome to an amazing Bible teacher and one of my close personal friends, David Marvin. Thank you. Thank you for that welcome. And I want to welcome everybody online and all the campuses. It is such a privilege to be here. Let me start by saying what many of you know, but Pastor Josh and his leadership is such a unique blessing that this body has. And to be in the legacy of Pastor Steve and Josh has been a tremendous friend to me that has been someone who's provided counsel, provided just a um, deep friendship inside of ministry. And so it is a privilege to get to be with the team, the leadership, and also our city is privileged to have what God is doing through Lake Point in it. And so that's a long way of saying it is just an honor and I'm so excited to dive into God's word. Like he said, I've been at Watermark teaching and leading the porch the last 12 years. And I have more importantly been married to my beautiful wife, Callie, for 10 years. Here's a picture of them. We've got three kids, a seven-year-old son on the right named Crew, a four-year-old daughter named Monroe, who is a firecracker in the best way and concerning way for the future, and then a one-year-old son named Bear, who is just in the stage. You can see his belly just poking out there and it looks like he's got rubber bands all over his arms and legs because of the rolls and it's just the best. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one. We're in this series, Hills and Valleys, looking at mountaintop experiences and valleys throughout the scripture. And we've been in the Old Testament and this morning I wanna focus on the New Testament. So I'm gonna start in Matthew chapter five and look at a mountaintop. Jesus went up, and then we're going to zoom to Matthew 8 at the end of that. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. He goes up the mountain, and he launches into the Sermon on the Mount. Most famous sermon in human history. It's incredible. It's powerful. It's beautiful. And At the end of that sermon, this happens. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper, someone who had leprosy, came and 
knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. He's referencing Levitical law, Old Testament law for a proof to them. But he goes up the mountain, teaches Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount, comes down the mountain and has this exchange. Now, let me start with an image that'll kind of give us some direction for where I want to go this morning as we explore this mountaintop moment. Anyone know what this is a picture of? Anybody? It's not a Chinese spy balloon. It's the uh, Hubble telescope. Now, Hubble telescope, in case you're under the age of 30, was created and launched and sent up into space in 1990. It cost a billion dollars, which is a lot of money at any day, and certainly a lot in 1990. It was commissioned underneath the Bush administration, and they launched this telescope out into space. And the plan was this will give us the ability to capture images and videos of the world and the galaxy around us. That through this, it'll send back images, and we'll be able to see the world clearly as it is and see the galaxy around us as it is. So they launched the Hubble telescope and it's out in space and they get back the very first images from Hubble and they were all blurry. Somebody had failed to rightly calibrate the lens on the Hubble telescope. Now that's a bad day at work for somebody. Like, Carl, you had one job. And they realize we've got quite a problem on our hands because to bring it back down to earth to rightly calibrate it would destroy the Hubble telescope, re-entering our atmosphere. To send another one is going to cost another billion dollars and the same, you know, it could have problems itself. What do we do? Someone came up with the idea, what if we create giant contact lenses and we send astronauts and attach them to the outside of Hubble? Figured it was worth a shot. That's what they did. And they got the images back and they were breathtaking. They were crystal clear. I mean, supersonic 2020 vision that they could see our world and see reality. I mean, here's a picture of one of them that you could see. You've probably seen many of the images that it captures and sends back, allowing a clear perspective, a right perspective on the world around us. Now, what does that have to do with what we're looking at today? Well, when Jesus showed up on the planet, one of the things that he did through his life and his ministry and certainly through his teachings was all done to correct the flawed vision and perspective that humanity had on the world around them. In other words, through his life and through his teachings, he was trying to correct, you have a wrong vision or perspective, a wrong view of who God is. And I'm here to explain and help you understand who God is, what sin is like, who you are, how you can have a relationship with God, who will spend eternal life with God. And one of the most powerful ways in all of his ministry that he did that was in the most famous sermon he gave, Sermon on the Mount, where over and over he's unpacking how a person can have right standing with God. At the end of that powerful teaching, he comes down the mountain and there's no coincidence. And 
encounters a man who's full of leprosy. Now, in case you don't know much about leprosy, let me explain that, because it really is a parallel to something and a problem in our own life. Leprosy was a skin disease that would show up on someone's body, and the moment it did, their life would never be the same. They would wake up in a, under the realization, life as I knew it is now life as I knew it. They would be removed from society. They couldn't live with their family. They couldn't hug their wife anymore. They couldn't hold their children anymore because the spread of the disease was so contagious that God commanded in Leviticus chapter 13, it says that the leprous person, I'll just read it, is to live alone outside. Lepers, or Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let their hair hang loose so that people can identify something is wrong with him, and he'll go around crying unclean, unclean, don't come near me. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, which there was no cure. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. And he just said, this person's to you know, raggle up their hair and their clothes, look like Zach Galifianakis everywhere that they go and say, unclean, unclean, stay away. There were laws that said that certain distances had to be maintained from the leper in order to not spread the disease. And yet leprosy is not just a disease, it's also a picture, biblically, of sin and the way that sin impacts you and I's life. And the good news is just like the solution this man experienced, you and I, there is a solution for the problem of sin inside of your life. But before we go into that, I just want to mark how for generations, scholars have pointed out the parallels between leprosy being not punishment for sin in your life, but a picture of sin in your life and in my life. So the first idea I want to cover just as we launch in is the curse that infects us is sin, just like leprosy infected this man. What are some of the ways that it affects us? Well, leprosy, in case you don't know, leprosy is a disease that it had skin lesions that would appear, but it worked from the inside out. In other words, it attacked the central nervous system of a person. You may not have ever heard that. It would attack your ability to feel. So the reason fingers would fall off and limbs could fall off is not because leprosy would make them fall off. It's because they lost the nerve endings. So they would touch a hot stove and it would burn their hand and they didn't even know it. Leprosy works from the inside out in the same way that sin does. In other words, the Bible teaches we have a sin nature. What's that means? It means sin comes naturally, which is why things like jealousy, anger, gossip, pride, lust, you don't have to work at them. They just come naturally. You ever thought about that? In other words, you've never had somebody tell you, here's on my New Year's resolutions this year, I'm working on being more prideful. I'm working this year on really upping my jealousy. You don't have to. It comes naturally. Because it, like leprosy, it comes from the inside out. Another parallel with leprosy is leprosy would cut someone off and it would isolate the person from relationships. Cut them off relationally from other people. Is the same thing sin does in your life and in my life. That it comes into our life and it forms into an addiction or it tells us we can't share and live in the light and open up about how our marriage is really doing. It isolates us. Cuts us off relationally from God. 
cuts us off relationally between you and your spouse. I mean, you know what, you know what is the enemy of intimacy in your marriage? It's not your in-laws. It's sin. It's in, certainly in my marriage, my selfishness, my pride. That's what is the enemy and is a barrier in my marriage. Or it can be. Because sin relationally cuts us off. It's a parallel. It's a picture just like leprosy would cut someone off relationally outside. It's desensitizing. There's another parallel. In other words, the more it progresses, the more numb a person would become. Isn't it also ironically the case with sin? Just how the more you and I step into sin, it goes from a big deal to desensitizing. This is why somebody says, it's a big deal. You gave up your virginity. And then a person can find themselves in a place where I just sleep with somebody I'm dating. I just sleep with somebody if they're there. It's desensitizing. What was the big deal and I can't believe I was hung over is now just called Friday. Like leprosy, it's desensitizing. And perhaps the clearest and most tragic of all of them is just like leprosy, sin, the more that it grows, so grows its ability to destroy, to self-destroy. That is, the progress, or as the progression of leprosy would take place, so it would destroy, increasingly destroy this man. And so is the case with sin. The more it feeds, or we feed it, the more it grows, and the more it's destructive to us, to our marriage, to our relationships, to all those around us. In 2003, in Harlem, New York, a man showed up at a hospital and he had all bite marks all over his right arm. And he's there to get treated and he told the doctor, my pit bull bit me. And the doctor's treating him and stitching him up and he thought, these don't look like pit bull bite marks. The depth of the bite is too great and it's so large, that's just bizarre. But at the same time, who would lie to a doctor about you know, where they got a bite from? But he was so concerned as he evaluated the patient that whenever he finished treating him and sent him on his way, he told one of the policemen who was at the hospital, you should go check on this man in his apartment. So later that day, two NYPD showed up at this man's apartment and just said, NYPD, no one answered. And just as they were about to leave, they hear from inside of the apartment, not a person, but a deep Low growl to the point that they thought, whatever's in there, we're not going in, but we're going to find out. So they got a warrant and they came back and they drilled a hole in the neighbor apartment and they stuck a camera inside. And the first thing they saw was scratch marks on the wall from floor to ceiling. I mean, this is like straight out of the beast in Sandlot, you're going to be thinking. I lost everybody under 30 there. <laughs> and they turn the camera, and this is what they see. A 400-pound tiger. This man had got a tiger cub. He loved animals. And he had raised this tiger cub, and it was small, and he, he just loved animals and always wanted to have one. And he kept this tiger, and he fed it, and it grew. The tiger never went outside, which would explain why neighbors around that apartment complained that it smelled like urine, because it did. 
There's no kitty litter box big enough for a cat like that. Ironically, there was a nursing home across the street that on multiple occasions had called the police and said, there's a tiger in the window across the street. But they didn't listen to him. They were like, it's the tiger lady again. I'm sure there is, ma'am. We will look right into it. We will look right into it. But there was. And the way the man had gotten his bite marks was he had brought home a stray cat. Like I said, he loved animals and he brought that cat home. And the tiger also loved animals, not in the same way. And he wanted to have lunch. And the man tried to stop him and got in the way and the tiger turned and attacked him. That this thing that he thought he could control, the more it grew and the more it grew, so grew its ability to destroy and its desire to destroy. And the same is true in your life. Pornography doesn't just start as something that creeps in. Eventually, it wants to destroy your marriage. It wants to destroy your marriage before you even have one. Gossip doesn't just come in and, you know, it's kind of an old pastime and it's fun. It wants to erode your relationships and your trust in people. All of a sudden, going from, hey, man, I'm just having a drink and we're having a good time becomes, I can't live without this. It's just like leprosy, sin, the more it grows, the more it's destructive and grows in its ability to destroy But the good news is, it's just like in the case of this leper, there's a solution. And there's a God who wants you and I to experience that solution, both to have eternal life and to experience the abundant life. And we see it, and he gives us the model of what that looks like. Verse 2, it says, a man with leprosy came and he knelt before him. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This man recognized You can give me my life back. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Remember, there's a giant crowd. They're coming down the mountain. There's a giant crowd around. It was illegal for this man to be anywhere near that crowd. But he's a man that knows I've got no other option. I'm a dead man walking already. And so if this man can give me my life back, I'm going to throw myself at him and risk being stoned or risk being killed because I'm breaking the law, but I'm dead already. You can heal me. I know you can. And he recognizes what any person who has a relationship with God recognizes. You can save me, Jesus. I can't save myself, but you can save me. If you're willing. He recognizes that all of us must, like I said, have a relationship with God. But just Christ is the cure that you and I need. Christ is the only cure. He alone can cure us. He alone can restore marriages and Restore prodigals back to their family, and he alone can conquer addictions. It's he alone that can allow us to have a relationship with God. What's incredibly not coincidental at all is the timing of this exchange. Here's what I mean. It further punctuates the sermon he just gave. Why do I say that? Well, you remember the Sermon on the Mount? I said it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's the most famous sermon ever. But it's also impossible. You ever think about that? I mean, Jesus gives some truth bombs that were impossible. Things like, you've heard, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you lust after a woman or a man, you're an adulterer. You've heard it said, don't be angry or don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you harbor anger in your heart, you are a murderer. This audience is going, you just called all of us murderers and adulterers? And then at one point in the sermon, he says, unless your righteousness 
exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, the Pharisees were professional religious devotees. They had devoted their entire life to worshiping and obeying the law. And Jesus just said, unless you are more righteous than these guys, you're not going to get into heaven. Let me put teeth around that and punch or give it the punch it would have had when his audience heard that and thought, what? That's impossible. Or who then could meet it? If I was to say, unless you are good at basketball, you cannot become a member at Lake Point question would be, well, how good? And then if I responded and said, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, they're not good enough. You'd go, but then no one's good enough. It's as though Jesus is saying, that's the point. You on your own and I on my own are not good enough. And if all of that was not enough, at one point in the sermon, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, here's what he says. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You read that and you go, what? So I looked up the original Greek word for perfect and what is Jesus saying? And you know what the original Greek word for perfect means? Perfect. I mean, think if I was to preach that message today. You come in, we all worship, and at the end of the worship, pop up, hey, guys, here's the message. You must be flawless. Let me close in prayer. You go, it's impossible. That's the point of the sermon that he just hammered home. And how fitting that at the end of that sermon where he hammers, you cannot save yourself on your own. You are not deserving and you cannot earn a relationship with God, but I have come so that you could have one and to open the door for humanity. I'm going to correct the flawed perspective you have that thinks if you do enough good things, you're going to have a relationship with God. At the end of that sermon, he encounters a man who is the literal physical embodiment of sin, a man whose life has been taken from him, who's incapable of saving himself. And the man throws himself and does what anyone who wants to have a relationship with God, anyone who wants to experience freedom from sin in their life has to do. God, I can't, but you can. You can heal me. You alone can heal me. You alone can save me. And the man discovers what all of us who have trusted in Jesus discovered. His answer is, I'm willing for anyone who comes to the end of themselves. It's not enough on my own. I can't fix this on my own. I can't earn a relationship with God and eternal life on my own. But he's willing. And Jesus has opened the door. And right at the end of that sermon, of course it would make sense that he would give an illustration for what humanity must do. A couple of years ago, I was out with my son. I was longboarding, and I was, which sounds ridiculous, and it is. I shouldn't be longboarding, but I was with him, and he's on his scooter, and he's five, and we like to do races. It's kind of, you know, get energy out while uh, mama needs a break. And we're outside and doing races and going down the hill, and he's on his scooter, and he's like super competitive. And so he'll always like, you know, joke about like, oh man, I smoked you, dad, you're so slow. And so as parents, you know, if you have kids, it's like sometimes you, you just got to like put them in their place. You know, like, all right, let me show you his boss here, okay? Your old man's still got it. I can beat a five-year-old on a scooter. And 
were riding down the hill, and this was one of those moments, and he comes kind of out of nowhere and cuts me off, and I go airborne off of the scooter and slam on my hand, and it was one of those moments in life that's so painful, it's not even like a cuss word comes out, which I don't cuss because I'm a Christian, but it's not even one of those moments. It was like it takes your breath, you're like the breath is knocked out of you and you're like, oh, oh, everybody back to the house, back to the house, we're going home, we're done with the races. And I go back and I sit on the couch and my hand starts ballooning like, like a balloon. It just swells like crazy. It looked like if you took a latex glove and blew it up, that's what my hand looked like. This can't be good. The next day at church, I bump into a doctor friend and I asked her to take a look at it. And she goes, you need to go see a doctor, like now. So I go that afternoon, and I get an x-ray, and I get the results. And she comes back and says, you fractured your hand. We need to do surgery on this, like, tomorrow. We need surgery this week. And I don't know if you're this way. This at least is my way. I, I like, if I can avoid a surgery, I'm going to avoid a surgery. If I can avoid something, I, I just, like, it's not my favorite thing in the world. I don't know whose it is. And so she says, you need to have surgery. And I'm like, well, that's one option. Um, what, have we, what are our other options? She said, there's no other options. You need to have surgery. And I, I still, again, maybe because I'm an idiot or something, I was like, okay, well, hypothetically speaking, let's assume I don't have surgery. What's going to happen? She says, it's not going to heal correctly. It's going to continue to break. It's going to continue to have problems. You cannot fix this on your own. And the same is true. Maybe you've never heard this before. The same is true as it relates to the sin problem in your life. You cannot fix this on your own. The good news is God has sent his son as the payment for sin in your life and in my life. And it's simply by coming to the end of yourself and realizing, God, I can't, but you can. Like this man did. That you can experience healing. You can be saved. You can have eternal life in a relationship with God, but you cannot fix this on your own, and neither can I. Now, in this exchange, we're told some interesting things happen. In a moment when no doubt the crowd gasped and stepped away that it's a leper, he's unclean, he can't be near us, we could all get the sickness. Jesus, we're told, reaches out and he touches him. And in Mark's version of this account, because Matthew has the version, Mark has the version, and Luke, they all tell this story. And Mark tells us the reason Jesus touched him. It says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, employing him, same story. And kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. It's the same Greek word for compassion, which your translation may say. Moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. He said, I will be clean. The third thing that we see from this story is Christ's compassion towards us. That we see that Christ alone can cure us, that there's a curse that infects us just like leprosy. And Christ's compassion towards us all people, just like his compassion, which is what moved him towards this man. Now, 
How long had it been since this man had physical touch? Luke tells us in his version that the man was full of leprosies, and he'd had this for a long time. How long had it been? Years? Decades? There's studies that are coming out as post-pandemic on the effects that non-physical touch or touch starvation has had and is going to have in the overall well-being of people that didn't experience that in the pandemic. And this man who has gone years, maybe decades, without any physical touch, now has the Son of God touching him. And it's the Greek word for seized, or hapto. It's holding him. Why? Why is he touching him? I mean, it was against the law. I and mean, why would Jesus touch him? Now, the assumption, you know, maybe you would think, well, he had to to heal him. Incorrect. The very next story in the book of Matthew, he heals a man by just saying the word. Like the very next story. In other words, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, which we were just in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, verse 5 comes after 4. Here's verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him. Appealing to him, he said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I will come heal him. The centurion said, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Only say the word and your servant will be healed. Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you believed. And that very hour, the servant was healed. That he heals a man with a word. Why did he touch the leper? Because he's a God who was moved by compassion that touches and reaches out just because he wants to. He didn't need to touch this man. And this man, who everyone had repelled and been separated from everyone, is now staring eyeball to eyeball with the Son of God holding his shoulders. He was healed. He was cleansed. See the compassion of our God even in how he healed him. And that same compassion he extends to all humanity. And I want to heal you. It's further a picture of, of sin in our life. Do you know every time, and you can go see this later, every time leprosy is mentioned inside of the Bible, every time, it never says someone is healed. It says they're cleansed. It's the same word that's used in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, when it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. And that same God who extended those hands and that compassion has extended that through his son to all humanity. And whatever your story, whatever thing in your past you think would keep God from wanting a relationship with you is just not true. A couple years ago, my son was in his baseball game and I was holding our daughter at the time who was three and I'm sitting there watching him play and rooting him on and holding her and she's just kind of squirmy. And all of a sudden I hear a combination of two sounds. One was, Ugh! and a shriek from the people sitting behind us. And my daughter has just begun to projectile vomit all over me. I mean, a, a level of vomit that was quite frankly shocking, where you're like, that, the amount of fluid coming out of a person that's I, like 36 inches tall is a shocking amount, and it's just covering me. I mean, it's just covering, to the point where, true story, a total stranger came up to me and gave me his shirt. It's like, hey, you need this more than I do. <laughs> it's so true. And in that moment as a parent, you know, especially if you have young kids, uh, whenever they're sick, you both love them and you're cuddling with them and you're also like, oh man, please don't give this to me. Please, I don't want to be doing this projectile thing later today. 
And that's kind of what's going through my head in that moment is I'm trying to hold her and, you know, change clothes and care for her. And also, ugh. I think if some of us were honest, in your heart of heart, when you think about God, you think that there's probably a part of him that he's a little repulsed by me. He loves me and cares about me, but he's also like, oh, man, what are you going to change? When are you going to get it together? And you read and see the story of Jesus, and he shows up to teach and correct the flawed view and say, that's not who God is. It's a God who touches the leper, who moves towards broken, sinful people because he wants to. That's who our God is. There's nothing in your life, in your past, in your future, in your self that could keep him from wanting a relationship with you. But that can't happen without reaching the place of going, God, I, I surrender. You can make me clean. You can give me, and only you can give me eternal life. This life in a way that experiences the freedom I was created for. Let me close here. The story is so fascinating because it starts and ends, and we've been in a series of hills and valleys and mountaintops, and it, it starts with a mountain. He goes up the mountain. And then it says he came down the mountain. He walks down this mountain, and he saves this man. How incredibly fitting that this is who our God is. He's the God who comes down the mountain to save. In a world that communicates the message, if you want a relationship with God, you have got to climb the mountain of religion. You have got to do good things. You need to attend church. You need to give more. You need to not watch rated R movies. You need to climb your way up the mountain to God. And Jesus says, I'm the God who comes down the mountain for broken, sick, hurting humanity. And you as a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you may know that message and you've trusted in that message and you know that God, but you live in a world that doesn't know that message. They don't know that God. You're in apartments and you're in neighbors or streets. You're working in buildings and you're on baseball teams with people and you rub shoulders with people at your school and they don't know the message. And this is the message we go take. They've bought this lie that if they do enough good things, they can have a relationship with God. And we go share. No, our God, the God who's there, he comes down the mountain for you, for me through his son dying on that cross so that anyone who simply says, I trust you, the payment for my sin. I can't save myself. You can. And his grace comes rushing in. And if you're here this morning, you're listening online, you're listening at a later time and you've never heard that message. Let me tell you, the reason you hear what I'm saying is because that God I just talked about that same Jesus who walked down that mountain from the very first breath you took to the last one you overtake has been chasing you, has moved with compassion towards you. Despite the grossness in your life that you think, just like the grossness of this 
leprosy on this man doesn't stop him. But you've got to place your trust in him and accept him. He alone can save. And for those of us who have, no, we go tell the message to the world around us who our God is. Let me pray. Father, I thank you just for the incredible truth that you are a God who is rich in love, who is moved with compassion, who touches lepers and broken people like me, moves in our direction because he wants to. For anyone who hasn't accepted that, still has a flawed perspective on you. Would you, by your spirit, change that? And would you help us who have trusted in you to now go spread and share that message with the world? It's in great need of it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. slash